what I've decided with a chateau, there is nothing which isn't heavy or hard. So, you know, sometimes I think I've been sentenced to 20 years of hard labour. <laughs> Welcome to Somewhere Else, the podcast that chats to people living in weird and wonderful ways. Each episode, your hosts, Domain Editors January Jones and Rose Donahue, interview someone who's ditched the white picket fence for the path a little less travelled. January, if you could buy a home anywhere in the world, where would it be? Well, Rose, I actually recently re- re-watched Under the Tuscan Sun. Uh-oh. And, and I can I'm, see where this is going. And I've got to say, I would love to do the Diane Lane thing and buy a house in the Italian countryside and renovate that and live there. I just think that would be fabulous. I was about to say Diane Lane made it look easy, but she didn't actually. No, she didn't at all. <laughs> she had that terrible storm. Yeah. Do you remember that? She had trouble with the with the local tradespeople. She did, yeah. The language. But mm. she ended up finding love. It was it was a happy ending for Diane and it could be for you too, January. <laughs> it could be too. I mean, I have already found love, but I would hope that, you know, That's true. we find other things. What about you, Rose? Um, it's funny. I mean, I love travelling, but I've never really thought about even the possibility of buying a house overseas because it just sounds like a bureaucratic nightmare. But I don't know if it is. I just sort of assume that it would be really difficult. Well, someone who will know will be our guest today. When Perth couple Karina and Craig Waters hired a car and headed on a scenic drive towards the Pyrenees, they weren't expecting to buy an 18th century 94-room chateau. Six years on, Karina project manages the restoration for six months of the year with a team of local tradespeople. The project has captivated people all over the world, with Karina regularly updating her 300,000 followers on Instagram. The Chateau has also opened its doors to the public and holds cooking classes, workshops, weddings, and even has its own coffee table book. Karina, welcome to the podcast. Oh, good morning. Bonjour. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Karina. thank you for the invitation. (laughs) Karina, is it true that a friend of yours specifically warned you when you were on that French trip not to come home having bought a Chateau? Well, in actual fact, it was a French friend of mine, um, next tennis player, Catherine Tombier, and she lives in France and she had been to, to Australia for the Hopman Cup and we'd been friends for a long time. And she said to me, whatever you do, don't buy a chateau, a historical monument or a restoration project. <laughs> <laughs> so you did the triple. <laughs> so I did everything on the do not do list. Karina, <laughs> uh, did she say that to you because she knew you were the sort of person who might? Um I think that she thought that Craig and I might sort of have those sort of um, ideas that it was a possibility. But, um, yeah, she was expecting that we would end up with something, you know, more like a little French farmhouse with little blue shutters and and come over and enjoy the French culture and lifestyle and not be spend all our time renovating. (laughs) (laughs) So could you tell us a bit about, I mean, we know it's a 94-room chateau, which is more than any any of us can probably even imagine um, having 94 rooms on our hands. Can you tell us a bit about the state of the chateau when it came into your hands? Um, Well, um, we knew that it was going to be a hard hat zone. We had been warned about that, but we hadn't quite we weren't quite prepared for you know the, the the damage that was before us when we opened up the front door, and although there were 94 rooms, you couldn't actually see that there were 94 at that point in time because. 91 of them had fallen in. So the chateau was classified actually as a ruin and all the ceilings and the floors had fallen in except for three rooms. But it was in those three rooms which really 
um, captivated us, knowing that the 91 rooms that had been um, in just complete destruction were still filled with such beautiful elements. I mean, you could see all the like the gold gilded cherubs sitting, you know, you know, in the debris on the ground and. Um, the stars on the chapel ceiling sort of half hanging down and half not. And it was impossible not to feel, you know, compelled to care about all these beautiful elements in the chateau, although they were in a ruined state. And were you and your husband in agreement when you first saw the chateau or was it one of your crazy plans and you had to convince the other one? Well, no, no. In actual fact, the very first moment that um, we sort of pursued the idea of a property in France, you know, given that it was going to be a little tiny farmhouse in a village. Um, it was actually my husband's idea. He was looking at French properties. In actual fact, French property sites came up on, you know, the, on Google. You know, sometimes things on Google just come up. <laughs> and I was actually in the, I was in the kitchen peeling daffinoise potatoes, ironically. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and, he, and he sort of went, wow, look at this. And so it just it just started from, from the internet and from search engines that just, you know, just appeared. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, on my bucket list or a long life dream to to actually explore the possibility of spending time or purchasing a property in another country so it, it just sort of it just sort of was just like a just sort of happened like that and then it just sort of grew in breadth and grandiosity I think along the way and we looked at Chateau because mostly they were unrenovated and um, and they'd been in the same families for generations, so they were really beautiful, not 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 in beautiful condition as in renovated, but in original condition. Whereas a lot of the other properties that we had looked at sort of had been renovated with a sort of smoothness. So, uh, you know, it was one of the reasons for Chateau. Now, Karina, I know a lot of our a lot of our domain readers love stories about people buying overseas. Can you talk us a little bit through the buying process? So what was it like? What were the difficulties? The difficulties are that, you know, it's a big misconception. I think that the first thing that sometimes you can see online that, you know, you can buy an apartment in, say, one of the capital cities in Perth for the same price as as a chateau. That may be the case, but often they're perhaps in a place that you may not want to spend six months of the year in. Hang on, sorry, sorry, two seconds. I need to come back to that one. The decorator's here to put the wallpaper up. That's all right. Stops. (laughs) (laughs) It's no nine to five, it's nine to nine. Yeah, so these chateaux are not always, um, uh, you know, they, they, they may appear as not having many problems, but mostly they need a plumbing, electricity, they need a new roof. Um, it's also difficult to buy a property because first, in most cases, in most villages, you actually have to, it, it has to be approved by the mayor. So it doesn't mean that you're like, you know, it's not like perhaps in Australia, you know, if you want to buy a property, you just go straightforward. But first it needs to be approved by the mayor because he has to be given first right of refusal. Because, um, you know, if you're going to enter into the village, they want to make sure that, you know, that you're the, the person that they may want in the village. And I was wondering, Karina, you not being a French person, was there much of what was the response to a couple of Australians coming in and, and buying a, a French monument? I think that generally French people really love Australians. They love Australia. They, you know, and once they know that you're not from Austria and that you've got kangaroos and koalas, then it's just, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's pretty straightforward. An easy sell. But, um, it took us, yeah, it took us two years to purchase the chateau because that you know you have to, you know, we set up a French company because you have issues with um, 
capital gains tax, um, with inheritance tax. And you, so you have to find the right vehicle which will suit um, your individual circumstances. Mm. Was there ever a moment of panic or of, oh gosh, what, what have we done? What have we entered into? Sometimes that's on a daily basis. But <laughs> on the, main, the main thing is that the, um, the, the night before we purchased the chateau, there's these little um, buildings at the front, which were the outbuildings of the chateau, and they've been converted into um, independent accommodation, which is no longer owned by the chateau. And I was looking out, we rented one overnight, and I was looking out of the window, and I could see the the chateau at night silhouetted, you know, under the under a full moon. And I sort of looked and thought, oh, my gosh, what have we done? <laughs> it, was, it was so overwhelming. It was the night before. And then another time we were driving down um, from the, like the chateau is situated on the base of a mountain called the Plateau de Bay. And so we're sitting, the chateau sits right on the base and we were driving down from the top of the mountain and one day also before we purchased it and it just was so enormous from an aerial bird's eye view um, in comparison to everything else and it was so overwhelming <laughs> so oh, wow. really frightening <laughs> so Karina your background is you were an accountant in Perth is that right yes. did, did you have much experience with anything to do with renovating a property like this no, no, we'd built our own home in, in Perth and um, coincidentally it was um, quite French-inspired, but at that time when we had built, we hadn't actually ever been to France. So, that, that you know, there must have been something lurking somewhere in our brains. Um, no, and I, I never wanted to be part of renovations because when I grew up, my mom, my mother was a what I called, you know, looking back now, was probably a serial renovator and I hated the thought of renovating and shifting and, and, and the chaos and the mess of it all. So somehow I think, um, you know, it's sort of some things in life go a little bit full circle and what you try to run away from sometimes comes back in the end. So <laughs> We all become our yeah, mothers. I, think I got the big mama <laughs> of all renovations, I think. <laughs> Can you talk us a little bit through the history of the building? Because it's such a spectacular home. What do you know about it? Well, it's quite extraordinary in, in many ways because it's very unusual for this region to have such an enormous um, neoclassical, perfect symmetrical sort of chateau in this region. I mean, normally they're fortresses and they're fortified castles. But this chateau is quite unusual. And the reason for that is that the owner of the chateau and their family had owned it for 600 years. The, the grandson, Louis Gaspard, he inherited this chateau, but he was also the president of the Toulousean Parliament, which meant that he went up to Versailles on a regular basis to the French court. And it was there which I assumed that he ran into the chief architect of Versailles. And I sort of think he must have sort of said, oh, look, Jacques Gabriel, you know, he did a whole lot of important buildings in Paris at the time. And at Versailles must have said, oh, will you mind coming down and taking a look at my grandfather's medieval castle and can you do a bit of a reno on it? So <laughs> he must have come down, I think, and he did this big neoclassical, very, very elegant and opulent 18th century castle. But at that time, this 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 um, this owner, Louis Gaspard, he, his family, he had more money than Louis XIV. So, you know, it was an extraordinary castle for this region. And it used to have, the, you know, the, the French court here, like, and French philosophers such as um, Voltaire and Diderot and Rousseau. So it was quite extraordinary. But their family perished during the revolution. And then after the revolution, another family purchased the, the chateau and then they owned it to the 1950s. So although it's had a very long history, it's really only had two families that have actually occupied the chateau and lived within the walls since the 13th century to the 1950s. 
And so do you know why the last owners decided to sell? Had, had they not been able to restore it in the way they wanted? No, they were quite devastated, actually. The father died without a will, which means that all the, ch- the children inherit, because it's Napoleonic bloodline, the children inherit the chateau. Um, there was a lot of disputes within the family and with cousins. And so the family immediately had to shift out. And it wasn't just the chateau. They owned all the land all the way to Andorra. And um, I calculated it out it was 74 square miles so it was an enormous property and it took 28 years to settle so during this time yeah i know during this time the family um had disagreements and the chateau was left abandoned for that time and it was interesting because a a couple of years ago the son from that family came to pay us a visit that most of the family will live in paris and he came to pay us a visit and he shared his memories for when he had to shift out when he was 10 and it was you know he actually cried and it was a very sad moment actually returning. Oh, that sounds really special to be able to um, to actually meet them though and, and talk about yes, your shared interests. It was. It was, it was quite extraordinary. And um, uh, he had heard it had fallen into disrepair and he was so grateful that someone had come to save the chateau. He actually saw his own height chart because in one of the bedrooms there's the family height chart for that family and he could actually see his height. He was really super tall. And even when we looked at his height chart when he was 10, he was really tall for a 10 year old as well so it was you know I mean when you talk about you know the past and and the keepers of memories that sometimes these old buildings have even in the height chart which you could see in on the wall was really very special oh that's beautiful that's something you only think about in kind of I guess suburban Australian houses is the little height chart yeah I guess even the the uh massive chateaus (laughs) have the height charts that's fantastic You're listening to Somewhere Else, the podcast about people living in weird and wonderful ways. How did you go about starting the restoration and and what have you actually achieved so far? Because I've, we've obviously been looking at the at your Instagram page and it looks incredible. Where did you start? We knew it was a historical monument and we'd need permits for everything. But when we actually signed the offer and acceptance, there was no mention of all the, the bureaucratic side of it, that we would need full approval from the historical monuments from France. And when we signed the final documents, they had inserted that clause into the contract. And although we had been led to believe it, we didn't need that in the beginnings. So that's been massive. And that and that that really guides everything that we can do because we're not meant to do anything without these permits, which involve several architects. The first time was a year of waiting. So as the chateau is falling in further, we're waiting on a permit before we can start the work. And really, I think that if anyone was thinking about buying a property overseas, that perhaps maybe not a historical monument, just go for one without the listing would be a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) But every, you know, we had these Catalonian builders that stepped in and um, in the very beginning, they consolidated the chateau, put the walls and floors and ceilings back in. Um, and then since then, um, I've been project managing out of necessity um, to really keep um, a closer eye on the budget so that the chateau becomes the dream of what the chateau should be, not the dream of perhaps builders or architects or um, uh, individual project managers, which we had, that were then doing work that was really what they saw fit rather than what was for the best um, integrity of the chateau itself. So, yeah, so now and now, so now we work with local artisans, local tradespeople, 
Um, and we do a, a, a lot of the work ourselves now. And so, so it's been a complete shift. And so day to day, Karina, are you, you're obviously on site all day. Are, are you the only person that lives in the chateau at the moment? So right at this point, um, my daughter Jasmine is with me and we both uh, manage all the work. So Jazz at this point is managing the commercial side of the chateau um, and the social media. We have workshops coming up this summer and so Jazz manages that and all the emails and I'm physically doing the work on a daily basis. So the two of us are here. We have a volunteer from Perth at the moment and we have another volunteer from America who is actually working on the garden. That's fantastic. I can see why you'd have volunteers. I mean, just looking at it, it looks like the most beautiful place to live. And people are obsessed with it. I mean, the, yeah. you must be, were you amazed at how many followers you've amassed on Instagram? Because it's just, it's blown up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I actually, the reason why I started Facebook was um, that to share, I didn't have the internet at the time for the first three years here, and I didn't have a phone that had international. So I'd have to drive all the way to to another village about 30 kilometres away and go and sit in McDonald's to to share with the family what was going on. <laughs> oh, so I set up a Facebook page to so I could show my children and my you know my husband what you know what was happening if I was here, and then one day. Um, I looked online and there were there were all these like there were thousands of followers and what had happened I'd written this little blog and it got shared with the Huffington Post and it just started from there so I wasn't expecting it or attempting to do anything except for trying to communicate better you know across hemispheres um, and then when I was in Perth my 12 year old neighbour um, set up and said why don't you have Instagram and I went wow that's a really good idea. Um, and then up very soon, Instagram and Facebook and Google, they got right behind the project and um, and shared it. So, um, you know, which accounts for, you know, the, sh- the, the you know the chateau being shared on Instagram. <clears throat> last year, the chateau was one of the last twelve finalists in the Shorty Awards, um, which was one of the majorest influences in home and garden. So, it's quite remarkable actually to think whether. <laughs> That this 18th century castle and 13th century castle is being shared. I don't think Louis Gaspard could have Louis ever, would would not have imagined, imagined it. No, no definitely <laughs> it not. It would be like us going and living on another universe. Yeah. <laughs> you, so you project, Matt, well, you're on site six months of the year. Yeah. Why not full time? Well, first, um, I guess it's one of the misconceptions about buying a property overseas is that um, – uh, for, um, I don't have a, a European visa, so as an Australian resident and under an Australian visa, I'm not allowed to stay more than six months at a time and not three more than three months at a time. Um, and I've sort of been getting away with that a little bit, but last year I overstayed my visa by three weeks and I was actually deported, which was a really scary experience actually. Oh, no. So yeah. on, on one hand we've been given a, a French Medal of Honour from the French government with, um, you know, and that was given to us by Prince Albert of Monaco. And then on the other hand, I was, you know, deported, <laughs> sent from the from the airport oh, no. <laughs> with like six security guards and sort of chucked out of the country. It was really a bit scary, actually. It was like they'd found the, you know, the greatest train robber in history. It was really scary. <laughs> You're a wanted woman. And, yeah. I know. And so they, I said, look, you know, that this isn't right, you know, like, you know, I'm renovating this historical monument. So they said, okay, you can have a few extra days to pack up your belongings. So I then 
packed up my belongings, went back to the airport. And then even when I got on the plane, they still dragged me off the plane to give me another telling off. And, you know, like it was, yeah, it was, it was a bit scary actually. So, and also, you know, there's a high unemployment rate in France. I mean, if you don't speak the language, I mean, they're never going to give a, a, you know, a foreigner a, a job. Then there is no jobs. So to come over here and to purchase a property without an income stream yeah. um, on the possibility perhaps working online. I mean, you'd have to have an online business or something to make it work. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? This is such a a romantic dream for a lot of people, but you know the realities of it and the realities I'm guessing is that you need to have um, someone working to send money because renovating somewhere like this wouldn't be cheap. Well, renovating even in Australia is not cheap. It's, you know, so I can only imagine what it's like doing a 94-room chateau um, so I guess that's just... Oh, you perhaps don't want to imagine that, really. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you, yeah, you're wrong. You know, the, like, like sometimes I think, you know, it's not escape to the chateau, it's escape from the chateau. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> but, in, but in saying that, I mean, um, in the very early days and, 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 you know, it was very evident that the chateau would have to become self-sustainable and, and for it to be able to... To, um, to to continue on with the work, even if it was renovated. I mean, a chateau would, needs to be self-sustainable. It, it's a, it, they're buildings that need to be put to work. Absolutely. And so that's obviously in your plan for the chateau. Um, you've And you've already hosted workshops and even a wedding. We, we did. And look, look, in the very beginning, you know, it's very easy to be swept away and captivated into this world of fairy tales, but fairy tales really are hard work. And in the community, people drive past and they salute the chateau. We thought we were buying bricks and mortar, but we were buying so much more. And so it's very, it's essential that the chateau is sustainable for the long term. Mm. But like in the beginning, we had, we, we thought it was, you know, it would be a private residence on some level because we were told we could just renovate sort of eight rooms. We didn't need to worry about all the rest of them, right? We could just do some and just live in that play chateau and, and travel around France and, have a look at other villages, but it was so much more than what we imagined. And the workshops have been as a result of the interest in the worldwide community now on social media. It wasn't something that we planned from the onset. And what you've spoken about, I guess it's, you know, it costs a lot of money and it's a lot of work. What drives you? What keeps you going? In all of this hard work and, and the fact that fairy this, this fairy tale has become such indeed hard work, I think that on the other hand of it, in this balance of life, and in this equilibrium that it's to know that every day that you finish every day where you've accomplished so much that it's almost like a gift as well despite all of that hard work and don't you think in some way that it's it's in that sort of the intersection between all good and all the you know the struggles and all the chaos and all the cost that on the other side of that of like that it feels like it has so much more meaning that it, in all this renovation and all this hard work that there's, there's this certain sort of nourishment in life as well. So it's, it's in that cross-section of the two that there is such balance in life that there's, there's this sense of freedom of, of creation here. I mean, for example, when we're thinking now that we're building this greenhouse at the back and and to think that you can you can sit at the back and you can think about how you're going to create that, all the possibilities of, of, of using your imagination and creativity um, and with your own hands to make this work 
is really a gift in itself. And it, and it also, this gift is also giving back to a place here that's 800 years old. And, and I think that around the world, like people that are actually, actually arrive at the chateau and from afar actually feel that and, 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 and get, feel this meaning as well. I think that's, a, that's, that's, that's an incredible thing. Sorry, Karina, do you think it's changed you, the chateau? And do you think you could ever go back to Perth? Um, I, sometimes it's a little bit difficult going back to Perth. With um, we live in an apartment with about a thousand downlights, so I'm used to here of running around with a candle. Um, <laughs> but I, no, I don't think I don't think that that some things can go back together again how they used to be. And I think that that some of the parallel of actually restoring a chateau can actually have on your own life as well, quite unexpected. You know, living life upside down and inside out has allowed me to live a life with so much more meaning that I never knew that I was living without. It sounds like it wasn't necessarily in the plan, but now it feels like you couldn't go back. Exactly. So what's next? Is it hard to say how long it will be till it's finished or will it ever be finished? Last year we finished off a a living quarters that the family is able to live in. So we finished off a 70 square metre room. That has shown us the way forward. When we talk about all the, the 90 rooms left now to restore, it's given us a vision of how it can be. But at the same time, you know, the chateau can't go back to what it was. When would we take it back? What period of time would we take it to um, if we were going to restore it? Because it's 800 years old. It was only in its absolute elegance and opulence for 30 years of that 800 years. We don't have the budget to go back to that and we don't have the, the, the permits to go back. And there's lots of these issues when I think when you buy old buildings, um, you know, restoration, conservation, preservation, but I think what's very important and the most important and what's sustainable is that the chateau is put back to life and the life is brought back in within her walls, undergoing a renaissance. And Karina, for anyone listening to this and thinking, you know, that it, that's gotten past the hard parts and thinks, you know what, this is something I want to do. do you, what, what advice do you have? To listen to your heart. Um, not everything's logical in life. And although Chateau and, and living in another culture are very challenging at times, I think that if you have the support of your family, if you have the support of your friends, that I think that to embark on something is just such a really wonderful adventure in life. And, you know, if you tried it and it didn't work, it's not final. I mean, it's about the commitment to your decisions, the, the courage to keep going and all those challenges is where you come out of it. I feel you feel that your own life has so much more meaning and there's nothing wrong with having a go at anything. I think that's a lovely note to leave it on, Karina. Mm. Thanks for telling us your story and it's not hard to see why so many people love following the Chateau's restoration. Mm. If people want to find out more, where's the best place to follow you? We have a website just under Chateau Goudans and it's the same on Instagram and we have a book which is available and that's on the website or Instagram I think one or the other <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah no that's it. it's online Perfect. so but thank you so much for um to domain for sharing the chateau story oh, thanks thank Karina. You. I think I'm gonna have to come and visit you one day I just think what you're doing is incredible and I love it so big fan girl <laughs> I, I really am well we look forward to welcoming you here <laughs> oh thank you all right have a wonderful day bye Karina <laughs> bye This has been Somewhere Else, a podcast by Domain. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. And tell your mum, send us to a friend. It's how we get the word out. We'll chat to you soon, somewhere else. Somewhere else.